It's a little cold in here right now. I think I got the sweatshirt on. Welcome to this completely unnecessary podcast for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. That's Ian Ferguson. Ow, I'm Pat Contry. That's never happened before. You hit my finger. Yeah, was, that's weird. It's <laughs> uh, weird. On the show today, episode 349, we'll be talking about um, Joy-Con Drift, <laughs> a, a Billy Mitchell uh, update. Update. We'll be talking about a uh, certain writer later on and respond to them. We'll be going over, going over Rarity <clears throat> Retro Video Game Collecting in the Modern Era. It was a documentary that came out a year and a half ago that somehow uh, somehow got flew past our radar for reasons we'll get into, maybe. And then also Patreon poll topic and voicemails. Uh, Ian, how was your uh, Vegas trip? Was great actually. Talk about a little bit on the exclusive. Yeah, I did Vegas trip. I talk all about <clears throat> the mechanical ponies. Uh, I'm wearing my my Konami shirt. I don't support actual horse racing, just the mechanical ponies. I believe this was sent to me by Evan Grill, so thank you very much for this uh, ma- magnificent T-shirt. But go to patreon.com and he can hear all about the ponies at patreon.com. So I see you podcast. We're, we're pumping out the exclusive ones. Um. We have one more, uh, quote, regular episode to go after this at 3.50, but we'll still be having content for you all. We'll be having specials, catcher-uppers. We'll be doing voicemail specials. The voicemail will still be operational. We'll be doing spe- uh, that. F- we'll be doing one of our first specials uh, near the end of March. That's what we- around there, late March, early April. Uh, and then also, Ian will have the writings going on. We're still doing the hangouts. We're still keeping some, some fun stuff going. You know. We're just shifting things a little bit here and there. Uh, we have to. We got some stuff in the mail. We got to talk about too. Oh, real quick, Flea Market Madness Forty Seven just came out. Christmas specials, Christmas Christmas edition. So I filmed it in December. Ah, nice. So people are like, "Wow, it's actually edited near the time you filmed." They're like, yeah, that hasn't happened in several years. <laughs> Absolutely, I I, I I stopped editing them just so people out there know because I was working on the book. Uh, so much the first book, I basically was still sh- shooting them because it's easy to shoot them, but editing, putting the time, I didn't have the energy back then to do that. Um, we got a few things. Uh, first, this is from uh, Eber. Eber sent me uh, LCD One of Us NES game. Oh, I really would like to try that LSD. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you mean the game or the yeah. LSD itself? Well, I mean, I've already had It's the a LSD. post-apocalyptic adventure. It's on Kickstarter now by Eber Soto. It's a 2D top-down your task of finding out more about uh, apocalyptic explosion. You trap your en- enemies by using an everlasting bubble. Take a look, Ian. Neat. So there you go. Free advertising for your Kickstarter, Eber. Thanks so much for that uh, promo copy, I guess, early production copy there. Looks cool. Next, we have for a, a card from, um, this is from Mark Thompson. Pat, love the Amico Christmas video. Who didn't? Here is a shirt I designed that I hope you enjoy. Exciting. Pleasure meeting you at PRGE this year from Mark Thompson. And so, oh, it's a schmedium. It's not a large. We take larges here, but that's okay. I can, I can squeeze into it. Yes, uh, you can. We have I cannot. Incredible fiasco yes. shirt <laughs> in the font of the uh, television Amico. I pre-ordered a video game console, and all I got was this shirt. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. That's that's funny. This might this might have to make it into the rotation for convention shirts, but... I can, you know that's a that's a larger medium. That's like a, some mediums are a little bit smaller. You can do it. Pat. I can squeeze. Show it. off your ripples. Intermittent fasting. Uh, that e- too. <laughs> salmon and fruit bowl. That's the secret. And then finally, this is from an artist, Wesley Diaz, 
I found your, your guys' YouTube channel a few years ago. I'd like to thank you for all the countless hours of entertainment as I often play as I often play in your podcast in the background as I do artwork or grind in RPGs. I've included my artwork inside as a token appreciation. In the back wall of your show, I always see that, that one Cabbage Patch doll sitting there. I have a hunch you guys might like it. Hopefully, if you do feel free to share it with the audience, I believe they would too. Thank you. So, this person has done a book in the, in the style of Garbage Pail Kids called Day One Patch Kids. <laughs> and it's like a modern Garbage Pail Kids, basically. That's funny. So, it's almost like a coloring book. It's yeah, in black it, and white. It is, yeah. So, that's great if you want to take a look at that. Uh, and then sent us as well. Some cards, I guess, put together a card set. Oh, that's neat as heck. It's basically like a new, like I said, it's a new uh, new sort of thing. Banana Ken. Look at Banana Ken for Street Fighter. It's, it's like video game themed, Ian. There's a, there's a whole, this whole Street Fighter one yep. on here. There's a toasty one. Uh, some of those are stickers, too. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, well, Garfield kids were also stickers. On so the there were stickers in there, yeah. Sure. Um, so anyway, so this is nice. And... This I might ha- we might have to get this done professionally and framed. Pat and Ian in the garbage pail kid style. Look at that! Isn't that adorable? <laughs> Isn't that adorable? That's funny. Let me show you. Let me show you. I like that. Isn't that the, the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life? How can we never thought of that? Terrifying. Before? Terrifying. That's cute. Come it on. Well, I mean, garbage pail kids are supposed to be like. I like the style, but it's very, very close. I like the. I like our one little teeth. Our one little tooth. Yes, I like that too. That's cute as Especially hell. Because I got fucked up teeth. Um, oh, so do I. Thanks, 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 Dad, for the bad teeth. Let me show this one more time. Isn't that adorable? It's like spot on. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So, thank you so much, uh, Wesley. Uh, I, I seriously, I feel we should get this like professionally painted and like framed. It's, oh yeah, yeah. It's framed is I, yes, absolutely. So we got that going on. Are those the original pencils? Yes, this is the original. <gasps> I so, love. So pencils. I feel like, like, like getting that. We should probably get get it scanned in. Yep, and have them completed. Maybe or I don't know how that works. Maybe Agreed. So we'll do that. Okay, so we'll do that. I I, I put the backing board on it myself in my in the nice bag. acid free. There you go. So we got that going on. What else is happening? Uh, well. There's nothing left to show from uh, the kind listeners. Uh, I, I had a funny experience with my uh, brother uh, this past weekend. Met your brother at the wedding. Very nice. He's a good dude. Stand up solid. You don't, you don't tell me much about your brother. I don't hear much about him. Hey, he's kind of a private guy. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's good. So he called me Thursday. Or no, he texted me Thursday mm-hmm. and he was like, hey, give me a call tonight if you're not busy. I was like, uh, work is busy and I got plans with Vani, but can I talk to you tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. So I'm like, I'll call you on my break at work. I'll call you around like three o'clock your time. Excuse me. Well, I forgot to. And at like three o'clock, my phone rings and it's my brother. And uh, we'll call him, uh, what will we call him? We'll call him Christian. (laughs) Uh, Christian uh, is like, hey, uh, so I have a friend that I work with. Okay. I was like, all right. And he goes, he's a big fan of the podcast. Okay. I was like, oh, all right. He's told me about him before. And every time he tells me about him, he's like, I promise you, he's not like a weirdo. He's not like a weird fan. He just uh, he's a big fan of the podcast. Big, and big fan. 
And when he found out that, you know, I was your, he's like, we were friends. And then he found out that I was your brother and he was like, oh my God. He freaked out. So he's like, anyways, I'm working with him the other day. And he tells me, uh, he asked me if I know anything about the Amico drama. And he's like, I don't, I have no idea what this is. And he's like, and he says, he's like, I feel like I'm a bad brother. He's like, I don't listen to the podcast. And I was like, I'm, that's fine. I don't, I don't listen to the podcast either. He goes, no, I have no idea what it is. <laughs> so I guess the uh, dude uh, told him about, like gave him the brief rundown and he goes, Ian, I fell down a rabbit hole last night. Your brother did. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I fell down the Amico rabbit hole and the drama. And I guess what he, um, I, I guess what the, the reason why his friend asked him if he had heard of the Amico drama was because I guess his friend had just seen our, uh, like the video of us slapping back, basically. Which one? <laughs> The like one the, we did the last. The one we did last. Uh, oh, you saw us go back against the Shills. Yeah, last gotcha. week or two weeks ago. Gotcha. And uh, so Tristan started with that, and he's like, "I watched Pat's Amico Christmas video. I watched the." Uh, he's like, "I watched. <laughs> I watched you get really, really mad." He's like, "Which was crazy to see." Is like you, my brother, knowing that you don't ever really get like that you know, fired up. Uh-huh. He's like, I listened to the video from those guys. He's like, what, what were and, and my brother wasn't even like talking shit. Cause my brother is just like, he's a very chill kind of dude. And he's just like, what, what were they even doing? Those weren't jokes. They weren't telling jokes. He's like, that's not a joke. Those aren't funny jokes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's like, and then he says, Pat tells jokes. I saw the video. I saw the Amico video, the Christmas video. He's like, Pat's funny. And I was like, well, wow. you don't have to go that far. I love your brother. I was like, you say things that Ian will never say. <laughs> it's like, you don't have to go that far. He's like, but Pat's funny. Pat's oh. telling jokes. He's yeah. like, and these guys, they're just, they're not telling jokes. They're He's jerk-offs. like, that's just like bully behavior. They're, t- they're talentless jerk offs. Um, and, and bully behavior is exactly it. You know, all of these people, uh, they were, they, all of these folks were the people that got made fun of in high school. And you can go two ways because I was made, uh, I was made fun of in high school. Lots of people are made fun of in sure, high school. I was. And you go two ways. You either rise above it or you spend the rest of your fucking life trying to be cool to those same kids. It's one and, of the other. And then inflicting pain on other people. Right. You either realize that, yeah. you know, this is pointless and it's worthless, yeah. or you try so hard to become them. And oftentimes, it's not just people like the bullies in high school. It's like people try uh, to appeal to the same age range. In, uh, like, that's that's what it is. Real, real quick, uh, the response to our clapback video was... We don't need to uh, talk about it. I'll just say, I thought some people would be a little disappointed in us or think that we were uncouth. It was almost universal acclaim, and people say, you, you guys deserve to do this. I feel we did a public service sure. by doing it. That's all, Ian. I won't dwell on it. So anyways, anyways. back to my brother. Uh, so he's telling me about it, and I guess so. At what I'm finding out is like he's mostly went down a rabbit hole of the most recent stuff, oh. and then he did read up on some of the Amico. Did you tell him we have a whole playlist of all our well, coverage? And, and I, I told him, you know, there's, <laughs> and he said he read up on some of the Amico stuff. Obviously, he knows about it and how it was a scam and how it well, you know, it started off and there was nothing ever done. But I asked him. I said, did part of your hole uh, that you fell down involve uh, the H bomber guy video. And he goes, no, it's like two hours long. I'm like, buddy, it's worth it. He texts me the next day. He's like, 
wow, that went places. And I was like, and my response was just, he lied about cribs because they kept focusing on he lied about if cribs. If you lie about cribs, you can lie about everything. <laughs> so that was, I just thought it was funny. Uh, my friend Brian, uh, poker friend, local guy, you'd like him. Pretty chill guy. He, hey, he sent me, hey, Pat, did you see that NFT video, the one from uh, uh, Folding Ideas that came out uh, last year? Right when oh yeah I think we talked a little bit about it it was great you see it's like a two yeah. hour video well, yeah I, I, well, I skimmed it but it was good right before the collapse I mean, the collapse was starting to happen a little bit but NFTs were garbage and this video got seen by millions of people yes and he said oh have you seen this I said yeah I, I said I said yeah I have a comment on it that got thumbed up because I said this is an important video so I said this we, we take for granted they're not these people are casual people are not in the YouTube ecosystem so I sent him the H bomber guy video featuring Tommy I said. If you like a rabbit hole, watch this. Not telling him any relationship that we have with Tommy Tallarico or anything like that. Right. And I was like, watch this. And he watched it. And I said, you remember the line about gaming racists? He goes, yeah. I said, yeah, we were the targets of that. We were one yeah, of the okay, Yeah, you did tell me. Okay, right. And, and like, he's like, what do you mean? And so it's like people, people, I guess, don't realize that like there's people doing or involved with these things. But like I had a conversation with my sister the past week on the phone where it somehow got brought up about Tommy Tallarico. Because I just saying, hey, what have you been up to? I brought up, oh, Tommy Tallarico stuff and things like that. And it's falling apart. And I'm like, I said, I said to her, this is a CEO of a multi-million dollar company going after me and Ian. Like, this is insane. Like, to us, we we're used to it, but it's fucking insane. CEO of a multi-million dollar company. But yes. He's in charge of $17 million up to Okay. It. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at one point in time, he was. They had billions right. of dollars they blew. I mean, so like we look back on our careers in the future, we're old. We can be proud of like the fact that we, you know, contributed to people finding out about these grifting assholes. This is more of a 350 uh, topic. We'll talk about like things we are kind of proud of and things we're not on the podcast. Oh, sure. That'd be, that'd be a good Q&A. Good Q&A. What was I saying? Are you warm at all? I'm a little bit warm, but I think I'll, this is good for now, the sweatshirt. Um, so didn't go back down the rabbit hole. That I was going to say real quick. We we don't think it's a rabbit hole because we've experienced it day by day, week by week. Oh sure, but if someone uh, has to catch up, they've got days and days and days. Of I stuff went on to look Sean on. Baby's one nine hundred hot dog podcast where he had to like spend a week and try to catch up. Right, and he did a decent job, but I had to film in on lots of important things because like we know it by heart all the stuff that happens. Uh, this was an exclusive from IGN. Exclusive. They learned from multiple sources that uh, Sony. Microsoft and Nintendo would not be part of E3 this year. Nope. What a shock. Who could have saw this coming? I don't know. Us who've called it for five years and everyone else. Everyone. I, yeah. I mean, I'd love to say we were unique seers in this instant, but we're, but we're not. Everyone's been saying it. And when they announced it last year that they were bringing it back with some fucking beautifully disgusting fluff words like the industry needs us now more than ever to bring gaming back together. No. Uh, you know, and it's like, yeah. And, and here's the response from every major player in the industry who like, I mean, uh, what do you have there? You're going to fucking. Fuck an ubisoft activision yeah what's left blizzard you said blizzard activision ubisoft yeah i mean no one ea what are the other big triple a's that would probably come out and make it worth their time would they even be like is this even worth our time anymore to do a panel because ea usually does their own presentation ubisoft does theirs you know that shit's gonna be dead man what what t 10 years 10 years ago it was still the talk of the town i went to three e3 straight i went to 11 12 and 13 and it was like, you had to still go there. And then a few years later, you didn't have to go anymore after that. 
man, thank you, Nintendo Directs, for like for for basically basically opening up this Pandora's box of companies realizing, hey, we can just produce our own shit and just get it out to the masses directly. We don't need an, inter- an intermediary that's going to take six figures of our money, basically, and us putting up tons of money and effort to train people uh, to, to, to like show off these games to journalists. It's totally antiquated. Nintendo did a great job. Uh, those, 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 uh, those ladies were all trained up at the booth the last I went. They all knew their stuff. It was great. But like that's time and money and effort to recruit, to train, all the costs of materials. You ever go to an E3 booth and see Nintendo's layout, like all the banners and shit, and the, they have their little um, their little special tree of tree area or whatever they hang. Like that shit all costs money. Like on top of paying um, for the space, like the, the yeah. space itself. Like this is this is tons of money. This is six figures. Oh yeah, super expensive. Uh, and, and why? 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 Why do it? To appease some uh, some random ass journalists that are coming that they're going to write something on, uh, I guess for their website. That's, that's I don't think any journalists want to do it anymore. I mean, ten years ago they still do. <laughs> I'm I was, sure. I was reporting for Retroware TV back then. Reporting. Reporting for Retroware TV. I was right. I was running the show. I was the man on the street. Went one year with Eric. That was great. Um, and then uh, Lance went the one year, and then I went with uh, someone else another year. I'll talk about it at one point. Um, so anyway, so. How much longer does E3 have, I guess? I guess you're always going to have, like, the medium and smaller size companies that are going to try to push their stuff. And hey, we're pushing your capture device for streamers and stuff like that. But can they survive on that and do an event? I, I can't. I just can't. I, I can't believe that an event that ended because no one cared about it was brought back a year later. And people thought people were suddenly going to care about it again with some nice words. Well, obviously the pandemic hurt having not having the pandemic. Yeah, but it was hurting. It was a hurting long before time. that. Yeah, it was hurting sure. way before that. I but, mean, it's been hurting since 2015 at least. Yeah, 2015, 16, uh, for sure. With when the directs became more regular, and they're like, "Oh, we got this thing coming out called the Switch, and we don't need E3 to really talk about it." They didn't. They didn't announce it at E3. They had the big trailer. Remember, it was the fall of 2016 when they had that the premiere trailer. Yeah. About it. Before that, it was like, "What is this thing?" You know. So, all right, that's all I got to say about that. Um, well, Phil Spencer had a quote here in this article. E3 is just, to me, one of the seminal moments of gaming. I love the history of going down to L.A. Thousands of people there getting to see great new things, getting to see people in the industry. The, the fan events that we've had, I definitely want yeah, that everyone, to continue. Everyone's drunk off their memories of it, but it's not. So, like, you, you love the experience, but don't want Microsoft to actively participate in it. Right. Well, yeah. We will continue to work with ESA in terms of their plans because they're on the board. Uh, Xbox on the board. Uh, even the ESCA is antiquated as a thing. You know, they got the ESRB stuff going on, right? And what else? I don't know. They got E3. That's right. Those are the two things. Yeah, basically, right? Yes, pretty much. Uh, Xbox's current plans for the showcase remain unconfirmed, but in previous years, it, it has held a showcase, preview events, and press mixers. Eternally, Xbox has recently suffered layoffs and other cuts, forcing it to tighten its belt following a year that saw virtually no major releases. Yeah, that'd be that's that's bad. A bad look if you if you lay off people and said, oh, we're going to blow all this money, whatever, a quarter million dollars, whatever the hell it costs to do an E3 thing and all that, maybe more with all the... Because you, you go to these events, you get invited to these parties sure, that's and a things, nice way, all that, shit. That's a nice way to frame it, but the reality yeah. is they didn't want to do it. Sure. None of these big companies have wanted to do it. Sure. Uh, Nintendo has also traditionally maintained a booth on E3's show floor, even after pioneering the direct format. However, IGN has, lo- has heard from sources that uh, Nintendo is sorting both. They're not going to be there. They're not going to be there. 
Uh, PlayStation originally dropped me out in 2019 over reported disagreements with the ESA. Disagreements means money. Usually it means money. We're not going to pay through the nose anymore right. for this. Disagreements. G- yes. Give us a discount. Disagreements. The disagreement is you are way overpricing this stupid event that no one needs to do anymore. Yep. Uh, so does that mean the ESA ceases no longer to exist at some point? Because I, I have to think that a lot of the revenue is from E3 directly, right? As I don't know. Someone's got to tell me what the inner work is. Is it like the the MPAA? It's like a shadow group. No one knows who's like rating the movies. There's a documentary about that. I don't know if you saw that. Mm-mm. Like no one knows who the hell these people like the people are that actually rate the movies. No, or the, how the money works and stuff like that. I knew it was always kind of like shrouded in secrecy. But you picture a bunch of like old old men and women just like watching movies. Oh, my ducky <laughs> fell to your right. You're right. Uh, there you go. Thanks. Uh, you want to talk about this Mondo Shop, Alien Crush, and Devil's Crush album? So you put this down, which is nice of you, because this is something I'd be interested in. I thought in. of you, Ian. Yes. However. Your, uh, your brother would say, I'm both funny and thoughtful. Yeah, he would. <laughs> um, Mondo, if, if, you uh, never, if you did not get a uh, chance to grab the Devil's Crush and Alien's Crush soundtrack, uh, it is back on Mondo in an exclusive colorway. Uh, I, I love the soundtrack. Uh, the Devil's Crush main theme is one of the best video game tunes ever written. Uh, and the bonuses, uh, the bonus, because both the Alien Crush and Devil's Crush soundtracks are so short and fit on one side of a record. Uh, the composer also threw um, Star Soldier. He threw some of wow. his super. It, it, they say just Star Soldier, but it's some of his. Uh, Superstar Soldier stuff. So it's really Alien Crush, Devil's Crush, and a good chunk of uh, Superstar Soldier on that um, on that vinyl. So very nice. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, d- d- should we point out that are these things licensed? I mean, yeah, they are. Yeah, oh okay. yeah, yeah. These this is licensed. There are definitely licensed. There are definitely unlicensed soundtracks out there. But Mon- everything Mondo Mondo's Mondo's licensed. Really so good. okay. This is not a Mondo release. What they do is they take some releases from other record labels okay. that have proven popular. They'll do their own colorway and they'll distribute it for them. Okay, so it, they'll sell it through them as a as a like a, a a crossover. Okay, so this existed, but yes. Anyways, anything Mondo is going to sell has been a licensed soundtrack. I just want to make sure because a lot a lot of the stuff in the scene is obviously not licensed. A lot. Eh, it's stuff. getting a lot better. It's, it's getting, getting better. a lot better, but there is definitely still unlicensed stuff. Sure. I have a I have a couple that were given to me. Some of them are crazy. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This should have been a topic for episode 350. Hmm. This DCU reboot. Oh, the DCU reboot that I, I can't make. Because the first podcast... Heads or tails of? The first podcast episode was literally the birth of the DCU because yep. Man of Steel was not planned to be a huge thing. And then they said, we're going to do Batman versus Superman. Yep. And then our first episode was us talking about uh, casting Ben Affleck. Uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. That was the birth of it. Right? Mm-hmm. And then three years later, they took, took fucking three years to make that movie. Three years later, they came out with Batman v Superman. We got so much hate from DC fans back then. Like, it was it was bad. Like, people came at us. We kind of... Remember that? Like that was, Yeah. 
It was it was like full throated back then. It was kind of cute thinking about that. And now here we are, less than ten years later from Man of Steel, seven years into the DCU, seven fucking years only, literally, and the whole thing has fallen apart and is now being rebooted into the DCU, which is a better name because it's MCU. I can't possibly spend a lot of time on this because I, I, I'm just, I'm not interested because uh, okay. this could go on for a long, long time is what I'm saying. If we're not careful, this is a runaway topic. Oh, we'll do eight minutes. So Supergirl, we're getting a woman of tomorrow movie. Well, let's can we go in the order. What's like the movies well, first. That's what I, that's the order that I've got here. Oh, so there's two movies remaining that are in the current DCU. They canceled Wonder Woman 3. Right. Henry Cavill was thrown out, unfortunately. Very saddened for him because he liked the role. Yep. The Rock tried to take over. Yep. And they said, who the fuck are you? Get out. Uh, your, your movie underperformed, and you're not as bankable as you think you are, Rock. Um, so that happened. So then they get James Gunn and his partner to come and try to fix this. However, uh, Shazam 2 still is coming out in a month or two. That's on the docket. That's not in this new universe. They're not sure. Then Flash comes out, mm-hmm. which is going to do a reboot, but we're not sure if it reboots everything. Okay? Follow me. Aquaman 2 is still scheduled to come out later in the year. They're not sure if that's going to be part of the DCU or not. Or if that's that could be just be the last vestige of the old it, DCU. Exactly. But Jason Momoa says he still wants to play Aquaman. But, Matt, but, but might want to play Lobo as well, which is a villain. So this is where we're at. This is a fucking disaster. And I don't think, in my opinion, any <laughs> fixing that they attempt to do is ever going to get this where they want it to be because of that. No, you just need to fucking scrap this shit. Raise it to the... I mean, I don't know why they... They always uh, say they're going to do that, and then they try to fucking intertwine all... It's insane. So now they're picking and choosing... What's going to be a part? Because they already filmed uh, the Blue Beetle movie's been filmed. They filmed that last right. year, so that's going to be part of the DC. I thought that uh, I thought that got canceled. No, they filmed it. There was on- no. I know they filmed it, but I thought they announced that they thought they were going to do the the Batgirl thing. Oh no, it. that they're still doing that. Okay, Bat- remember Batgirl got unfortunately uh, thrown into the garbage can after it was done as a tax write off. That's disgusting. Hopefully, yep. I'm hoping that James Gunn and them can actually at least put at least put on HBO Max. Yeah, you're, 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 you're well, depriving. I mean, but no, they they want the tax write off. I think that's literally it. Then pay the tax back. You're depriving us of Brendan Fraser as yeah. a villain. Yes, you are. Come on, and he's got nominated for an Oscar. You're killing me here. Um, so all that's happening right now. Now you now you can go into the slates. Oh shit. Um. So where did I put it? We've got every movie, everything announced. Superman Legacy. Which so, is going to be a reboot. So new, new Superman, uh, three year, uh, two years from now, 2025. It will mark the start of the DCU, but it's not an origin story. Oh, my God. Okay. Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Is, is that a movie? Um, yes, that's a movie. Okay. Brave and the Bold will exist alongside Robert Pattinson's Batman. Okay. So the Robert Pattinson Batman is going to be Elseworlds. So they're going to that like that and probably the Joker sequel. That are separate things. I don't hate that idea. I don't I mean, either. Just because it means we'll get the Batman two, which they announced. I still haven't seen that. I still haven't seen that. That's good. First Batman movie. It's good. Doesn't uh, feel as long. I mean, it's it's a long movie, but it doesn't feel doesn't drag. So Brave and the Bull will be Batman and his son. I guess in the comics, his son yeah. is growing up to be like a Robin type of character. Nightwing. Damien is Nightwing, I believe. Damien became Nightwing. 
I the, bl- the, the I, first Robin was Nightwing. Oh, that's right. You're right. It's yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, what is Damien now? He's just like a mini Batman. Another, <laughs> yeah, he's another Robin. You're right. Basically, okay. the, basically the fourth yeah. Robin. So I don't have any interest in that. I'm just saying I don't. I'd rather I'd rather see a, a I'd rather see a, a Nightwing team up with Batman, but that's okay. Uh, what the hell is the Authority? That's feature film to be turned. What the hell is that? What's the Authority? I don't know. That's down here too. Well, what's next year? Paradise Lost, which will be a reboot, I believe, of Wonder Woman. Uh, Booster Gold is an HBO Max series. I don't know anything about Booster Bo- Gold. Booster Gold is sort of like Iron Man-ish, creates his own tech suit. Gotcha. Usually teams up with Blue Beetle. How do I know more about that than you? But uh, it's it's interesting because it's like they, they, it's, they do the, the thing they did a blue and gold run, they both team up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, like okay. kind of people are like, oh, that's a cool thing. They're both more down their earth And that's going to be an HBO Max series. Is that's that going to be animated or live I action? I hope not. If it's animated, I feel like it could potentially be great. DC's animated stuff has been good. That's the first thing that I've been interested in on this list so far, was that, Uh, is is, is the... It doesn't uh, say it's animated, because Creature Commandos, which is next, is announced as an animated series. I know nothing about it. Waller. An Amanda Waller series could be somewhat interesting. I don't know that I'll watch it, but I think it could be interesting. But again, though... Is that just Suicide Squad? Like, what is she going to do? It it probably would let her be a uh, probably would let her act. I think you would get Suicide Squad with a larger rotating cast of characters. I think is what it's likely going to be a Suicide Squad type of series. Okay, I haven't seen Peacemaker. Heard it's good with Cena. I, I haven't seen that. Neither that, have I. Peacemaker is going to be in the DCU because that's obviously James Gunn running that. So he's like, right, that's going to be in there. Uh, what else we got? Lanterns. Uh, lanterns. Okay, that's appealing to have. Uh, rotating lanterns and things like that because there's tons of green lanterns you can have. That's good. Um, it says, oh, it's going to be oh, it's going to be Hal Jordan, John Stewart. Okay, everyone's going to love that then. You got the OG yeah. and you got the current one that everyone likes. That's fine. Swamp Thing. People like Swamp Thing. I never got into it. And Morrison's Swamp Thing is great. Uh, it's described as a horror film that will mark the end of DCU's Chapter One. Sure. Okay, here's the authority. Uh, the authority is kind of like Jack Nicholson and a few good men saying that they know that you want them on the wall, or at least they believe that. <laughs> so I guess it's a bunch of authoritarian superheroes. Is that basically what it's going to be? Okay. I never heard of that. And then you have the Batman Part 2, which is Elseworlds. There's going to be a trilogy of that. There's a Penguin series based upon... I got to see this movie. Frank DVR'd it. I got to see that. Okay. So... <laughs> And, and supposedly there was an article that came out that already the DC higher-ups are not happy with James Gunn being so outspoken on Twitter and interviews, basically like criti- <laughs> criticizing what's happened before. And the people are still there in the company saying like – basically calling out Zack Snyder a bit and saying like, you know, you don't give one person the keys to all this and then sit back and which, – which is true. Yes. But you got to be a little more political now that you're you know, part of Warner Brothers and all that. Sure. So, so basically now we have we have then – Almost like nothing's going to happen next year then because it starts in 2025. Yeah, it looks like nothing's happening. So when's Blue Beetle going to come out then? Because that's been done, I think, Blue Beetle movie. That's this year, Blue Beetle, according to this. Yeah, that would make sense. But that was part of the old guard, basically. So Blue Beetle comes out. I'm kind of shocked that it's August. I'm kind of shocked that's going to be a movie. No one knows about Blue Beetle, really. That's going to be kind of a risky thing. Could be fun. No one knew about Shazam and the first Shazam movie was good. Come on, people knew about Shazam. They had a series in the seventies that's older. As old as I mean, they knew, but I'm I'm just saying it's not exactly recognizable. Uh, Ant Man and the Wasp. I mean, yeah, but Marvel has a better uh, track record. Sure, Marvel it's track. We always talk about Guardians of the Galaxy was a risk because no one knew who they were, but the marketing was great and things like that. We'll see about Blue Beetle. It's uh, it's it's a kid from uh, the Karate Kid series that does a good job. 
kidding. It's probably like 22 by this point. They're finally ending. Uh, season six is going to be the last of uh, season six. Holy shit. Of uh, Karate Kid, the new one of Cobra, Cobra Kai. I gave up after season two. I think they could have done it in four years and then called it a, called it a shot. Because uh-huh. six years, these are supposed to be high schoolers. It's, it's like, it's, you know what I mean? It's a syndrome of, come on, they're getting too old to be high schoolers, but six years is enough. They've, they've, they've retread enough of it. I thought, I thought four seasons, they should have been done. But season five was like, what did they have left to say besides I got uh, the old Karate Kid 3 uh, villain, who was great, by the way. But at that point, there's like nothing left. I just, I, nothing I, left. you know, as I'm watching it, it's like, I see where this is going. You know, this good kid's going to go bad and uh, black. And it's, I just, I like I liked the first two seasons for what it did, but as soon as I saw like where they were gonna drag it out, it's just it's oh it's it's an old story, and it's been less and less Johnny. Johnny was like super heavy heavily featured the first year, or right? Two, and he's just sort of been thrown to the back, and it's like he was what people I think people got into was the concept of him, the villain, like seeing his side of the story, and like that's right. been sort of lost. Oh know? yeah, then I, I really would have no. He's more like sharing it more with LaRusso and then everything. Like they're more 50 50 by season. I mean, they're kind of in season two. All right. What else is going on here? Um, GoldenEye came out on Xbox and Switch. There's been people talking about it, how the emulation isn't the same on, on both and it's different. Uh, the control scheme on the Switch is a little wonky because, the, because it's different with the Joy Cons versus N64 controller. So you have to like. Go into the switch options to change the loadout of the buttons themselves and switch it. It just sounds like it's annoying as hell. Sure, it sounds like you have to like really use a like a Switch Pro controller or some sort of proprietary one. Uh, Carl Jobs got a hold of the N64 official re-release for Switch Online. He said it's trash basically because they they use what I thought they probably did. He said that the, the thumbstick is more closer to like the replacement or like GameCube thing versus an N64. It doesn't feel the same. Right, right. So you can't play it the same at all. Right. So. You would know he's a speedrunner. He would know what it feels like. So I guess like you have to find a third party solution that would work uh, to play it versus the Joy Cons. That's what it sounds like. So I'm, I, I mean, I got this. I got the. I, I should probably try it. And I think they said the online on Switch is is a lot better. It's not locked at thirty frames per second, but it's not like the four frames a second. Oh you know, sure. On, on the but the, the whole point is the emulation is 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 really bad. It's still on N64. Yeah. <laughs> Nintendo has not put the money into to. Probably get it done correctly still. You know what is done correctly? UltimateNintendo.com. Why is it done correctly? Ian? You tell them. <laughs> it's your website. I got you there. You make money off the stuff we sell. I got you there. We got the, the, the CU Podcast t-shirts, the limited t-shirt. We got the CU Podcast enamel pin. We got my fat face on a pin and my hair. RBI baseball stickers. Someone bought three of them last week. Wow. What are they doing with three of them? I don't know, Ian. Keep saking them. Keep saking them. Uh, we, we, we got certain NES and Super Nintendo guidebooks behind me. Uh, you know, I'm jealous of people doing their own books, but we, I got my own right there. Uh, and we got lots of other stuff going on. I'm on Twitch Wednesday. Twitch Wednesday. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Contra Code. Ian will not be there this Wednesday. Unlikely. Uh, oh, that's like an NBA injury. It's questionable. Questionable. <laughs> it's not out. He's questionable to return. <laughs> you should do your prediction every week. Ian's questionable to be on <laughs> part of the stream. Uh, NES app, uh, go get it. If you had it before and you hated it before or, or thought it was sloppy, version 3.0 of the NES app is out on Google Play Store. And um, It's so iOS. much nicer. It's so, you, do you have it? No. I'm going based I, on what people have told I me. I can comp you a, a, a code, Ian. Uh, I, I know the guy doing it. All right. Maybe I'll have to look that up. Uh, speaking of Nintendo and Joy-Cons, what a segue. 
I'm on cameo.com slash Pat Contry, but no one's really doing cameo anymore. That seemed to had seemed like cameo had its day in the sun for a year and like now people. Are doing I work. mean, I feel like uh it's played out cameo. I feel like that was probably a a, a, a big thing during um pandemic. Pandemic. When you I, couldn't I, like deliver people regular gifts and stuff like that. Something I was in the brighten someone's day. I was getting one a day for a while. Then, Maybe it's also one of those things where like when you start it, you get a bunch of people who bunch. have wanted you to do that sure. will do it, and then after that, you know, I can't imagine there's an ongoing market for it. Sure. This is from Eurogamer. We love Eurogamer. Uh, Vicky Blake, contributing writer here. American judge dismisses Switch Joy-Con drift lawsuit here. American judge has dismissed a lawsuit filed against Nintendo for its Joy-Con drift issue, saying the case cannot proceed because the owners agreed to Nintendo's end-user license agreement. EULA. That this Those EULAs. The click-through things. This is one of the things mm-hmm. that's going to come up in the WADA the WADA lawsuit as well. The yep. click agreements. Uh, despite attempts to argue that underage children who who use the handle system cannot enter into the agreement, the federal judge ultimately ruled that the agreement was with the de facto owners, the parents. That legally makes sense, and not the children who actually use the console. Um, consequently, the judge dismissed the action, saying that the parents should have entered legal arbitration rather than a lawsuit, as instructed by the EULA. So there you go. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's shitty. Companies got to stop releasing bullshit. But, I mean, that's... Not, unfortunately, not... we agree to all of this sort of stuff. Yeah, We, we I mean, don't realize it, but, like, when we click through that shit, you're giving away your right to do a lot of stuff with these companies. Sure. Nintendo, to their credit, <laughs> has tried to make right for the, you know, fixing the Joy-Cons. You send them in, they replace them. Sure, but it was a bad problem. It's just like Microsoft tried to make right for the Red Ring of Death, but it was a disaster. Well, I wouldn't put it on the same scale, but yes, the Red Ring was was disastrous. Yes. I mean, people console fucking blowing up. But Ian got a lot of money out of that because he could fix. <laughs> I did. It, it kept you in bonuses for years. I was I was good at it, and it did. It kept me in bonuses I, for years. I, I'd call Ian. Hey, Ian, how many you got there? I got like three or four. And I got to fix. Uh, the most I ever fixed in a day was twelve. Holy shit! And that that literally to do that in my work day that required a constant because I never did more than one at a time. Okay. Absolutely never do more than one at a time when you're working. Why? It's just too much to keep track of. Because it's too much to keep track of. You, you, all you, the pieces as you disassemble. You can't automate it? Okay. It's, you can, and I, I did it Assembly a couple times, it. but all both times I did more than one. I did like three at a time, and it was like, no, no, I'm never doing this again. It was too stressful. But that required me to Ugh. like just constantly have them in motion all day to get 12 done. And uh, yeah, I made I made good I made a good bonus. Uh, bonus. Yeah, I I just I got cash off the top for those. All right, good for you. So then you like Microsoft there. <laughs> um. So anyways, that sucks. And then we have an update. Speaking of our pal Carl Jobs. Oh yeah. So this is a good one. Um. So was he the one to break this info, or did someone else break it and he made the video? On I it? think someone revealed the pictures online. I was going to say that. Okay. Anyways, Carl Jobs released this video. It's a Billy Mil- Mitchell update. Uh, it is. Um, 13, almost 14 minutes long. You can listen to the dreamy voice of Carl Jobst if you'd like and watch the whole thing. Dreamy, huh? However, the part that I want to focus in on, I think the part that is, you know, the most important here is uh, he's showing pictures from when Billy Mitchell set the Donkey Kong high score, the record. And what is important here is when you're looking at these pictures, and I'm honestly surprised no one's brought this forward sooner 
uh, the joystick on the Donkey Kong cabinet that he played on. And that's proven by the fact that it's got the camera pointing at it and the VCR on top of it, which is how they recorded it. And of course, that 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 footage is mysteriously gone. Um, oh, it is. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. No one knows where that footage is. Um, he's using an eight way joystick. It's not an official. Yeah, it's not an official joystick. It's a taller thing. red joystick, and it's not a four way. This alone would be grounds to just discredit it because you, you're supposed to be playing on original hardware or at least the same specs. Yes. It's the same spec hardware. Um, and uh, and I, I I knew a little bit about this, but not a ton. Apparently, one of the reasons why an eight way joystick might be used is in the original Donkey Kong four ways. If you're on a ladder. You can affect the flow of the barrels by pressing left or right, but you have to stop. You have to stop on the ladder. You have to stop to do it. You have to stop on the ladder to do it. With an eight-way joystick, you can because you can push to the diagonal, which will cause it to alter the direction of the barrels as you're moving up. So it's a way to save time. You're fundamentally changing how to play yeah, the game. Yeah, you're fundamentally changing how you're playing sure. the game. You're adding a brand new tactic to it that will get you to the goal quicker the the more you use it, essentially. Or being you, able to avoid trouble. Uh, yeah. There's just a lot of things you can do like that. Okay. So being that th- this score is one of the basis of this lawsuit, this if this is entered into evidence, they'd be like, yeah, well, this is clear evidence that your score was bullshit. Yeah. That by the rules of Twin Galaxies, your score is disqualified. That's before you get into any other claims. Like, did he actually do the score at the event? Like you said, the footage has disappeared. All these affidavits. The affidavits that uh, Crawford's up in the video is like, people are like, yeah, I remember him being at the event and say, someone saying he got the high score. But like, why is there, you know, this, this, is a, this is a smoking gun. Where like, even if he got the score, it has to be tossed. Right. I just think it's funny that, I guess it, ta- it was that from 2018. When was that year that this, this, was, uh, this event happened? That it takes this amount of time for photos to surface. Did Billy Mitchell not know that someone took photos of, of the cabinet at the event where this took place, allegedly took place. This whole thing is a shit show in general. Yeah. Yes. It's insane. And then he still has a couple of lawsuits, one or two, I forget against Carl Gogan in Australia. And like, at some point the money has to run out for these lawyers, hopefully. And, and at some point, like this, this has to come to an end. This old guard of, of middle-aged arcade players trying to grasp onto their legacy quote from what, the eighties. What like, bothers me so much is like end. to even get to this point where you could create this kind of drama, you have to be a pretty damn good video game player on your own. I'm sure Billy Mitchell plays video games pretty damn yes. well. Like, yes. if you just put him in front of a Donkey Kong machine, I'm sure he plays a mean fucking game of Donkey Kong. Todd, what was his name? Todd, Todd Rogers. Uh, Todd, Todd Rogers uh, was clearly a good video game player. Sure. But then you get this far, and it's like, what you're lacking so much in your life that this is clearly the most important thing. And, like, it's not enough to just be good. You've got to... You've got to cheat it because Billy Mitchell, you know, uh, ostensibly would be in the conversation of best Donkey Kong players. Yes. He does like like it's not like he wouldn't get attention and, and, and stuff like sure. that. He'd have opportunities to go to the conventions yes. and, you know, and, and talk to people. Um, dude, you could be living a pretty good life. It's just someone who's good at video games who got big in the classic record scene oh. and uh, not a bad way to live. But you got to just. 
I, people just they never get enough. It's hubris. I, but is that all cheaters though? For the yes. most part, yeah, they're they, usually they, yeah. pretty damn good. Yeah, they're you're right. They're they're good. They're just not getting enough. A, a good a good card cheater has to be good at the card game to begin with. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he took steroids. Before he right. had one injection of allegedly of steroids, he was a Hall of Famer. I can't believe that. That's just ridiculous. He was going to get five hundred home runs, five tool player like like Willie Mays, who had been heralded as one of the greatest players ever, yep. and now his legacy is tainted. Obviously. The, the the chess player we talked about last year, probably a really damn good player would destroy me in a, in, in a match, but allegedly yeah. feels a need to cheat to give you to put you over the top, and it's human nature is disappointing. What am I going to say? There's there's a lot of a lot of weakness in, in the human condition that where you have to put yourself over the edge by by cheating other people. I hate to say it, that's just how that's how we've evolved, and it's kind of disgusting. It just is. People that don't tell the truth about you know past events, uh, people that maybe uh, twist the truth, maybe people that maybe um, um, project their feelings onto others in a competitive nature, mm-hmm. which will segue into the next topic. Here we go. 2023 is already well underway, so don't wait any longer to level up your small business and set up your year for success. Get ahead of the competition by using Stamps.com to mail and ship whatever you need. I've used Stamps.com for several years now. I've shipped out T-shirts, Blu-rays, DVDs, game consoles, books, what have you. It's great, and it saves me tons of time. Stamps.com lets you print your own postage and shipping labels right from your home or office. It's all ready to go in minutes so you can get back to running your business sooner. Postage rates just increased again. Luckily, Stamps.com has the best discounts in the industry, with rates you literally can't find anywhere else, like up to 84% off USPS and UPS rates. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. Use Stamps.com to print postage wherever you do business. All you need is a computer and printer. They even send you a free scale, so you'll have everything you need to get started. If you need a package pickup, you can easily schedule it through your Stamps.com dashboard. Set your business up for success when you get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code CUPODCAST for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code CUPODCAST. All right, Ian, uh, we, we uh, dr- dropped the bombs on some people at the last podcast. Uh, the Intellivision Amico uh, shills, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, the responses were, were ran the gamut, um, and the, they were not surprising. We won't get into the individual responses. Obviously, some people were flailing and pathetic, but uh, some people uh, you know, re- try to rebrand their YouTube channel. <laughs> that's the funniest. Uh, that's the to funniest me. one. Uh, but the one person, uh, the author Brett Weiss, I want to focus on because um, it seemed like Brett took this almost more personally than even. The other folks, um, because obviously we both are, are producers of, of video game books, and so we're in the same sort of space here. And uh, I just want to address some of the things because Brett wrote a long blog post that recounted strangely almost every personal interaction we had ever had on the phone and in person, really, and Facebook interactions with screenshots. And so it's it, extremely long. It's very long. It's very weird. And so looking at that on its surface, I'm glad I cut communication off with someone like that who was literally tracking every single interaction we had, not to my knowledge. 
You don't want to be involved with people like that because this is the potential result. If they're going to bring up direct messages and try to recount every single convention interaction ever had, I feel like my decision was good not to communicate with this person at some point. I feel like because anything I said could be used against me. And that's before we get into who this person associates with. Yeah, it wasn't with. just like a mention. It was like, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. So uh, I want to go through some of this, uh, what, what Brett was upset about. But Brett was basically upset about, first, about that we lumped in with the other shills. And on Facebook, he replied on Facebook, and I had a long response that was somehow deleted. I don't know if you can delete a response. Some, whatever. It's fine. But Brett claimed that he wasn't. A, Might a, be able to hide it or whatever. Sure. It was weird. But Brett claimed that he wasn't a shill because he didn't receive any money. And we went back and forth. The classic definition of shill, you know what? I'm just going to let a random person tell the definition of, of a shill right sure. here. I'm looking at the definition of shill, an accomplice of a swindler who acts as an enthusiastic customer to entice or encourage others. So on that count, I think by the by the letter of the definition, would you agree that Brett acted as a shill. Well, like, like I said all the way back when I first used the word shill in relation to the Amico and everyone flipped out about it. Um, there is no... Yes, yes, all of those people were. It doesn't yes. require money. It's... it's 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 you're a comp you're the you're an accomplice, accomplice to yes. a swindler and tommy's been shown to be a swindler whether or not you knew he was a swindler is immaterial he was a, he was a swindler right and you did his dirty work and you even called yourself a shill wore the t-shirts and you said multiple times i am friends with tommy Tallarico, which we'll get into later oh i forgot about the theme song that ian has to listen to People, you better beware. People, you better prepare. If you come at him, he just might clap back. It's Petty Pet. <laughs> Here we are. There you go. That's that was almost like the prologue to the intro. You like my jingle? It was. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. Your brother, I, I, your brother might like it more. My brother might like it more. I, I enjoyed the layering. Oh, okay. Layering was nice. I, I do a pretty good jingle. So anyway, so I thought that was, um, it was strange that someone would bring up all these details of communication, um, noting phone conversations, noting convention interactions, but not, may, maybe not remembering every single one of them, maybe omitting things either because they remembered it and realized it was embarrassing, or maybe they just forgot <laughs> Maybe they just forgot about some of these interactions. So the fact of the matter is this. Maybe. The, my distrust of Brett Weiss started uh, back when one of our phone conversations happened. Uh, by the way, Brett's had my phone number for years, by the way. He, he left that out. Brett says I blocked him everything. Brett, you've had my phone number for years, buddy. I'm like, you could have you reached me whenever. I'm just, I'm just sell, telling you. Um, when Brett used to ask me when we were producing the NES book, for example, um, where do you get your screenshots from? I said, well, a chunk came from Moby Games. I got permission right. from them. They actually gave me permission. They said, thank you. Almost no one asked permission uh, for stuff like that. And obviously captured some. Oh, where do you get your, you know, where do you get your, your, your game cart scans from? Oh, that came from Nintendo Age. Dane asked Dane permission. He sent me like the dump of it. And that became the artwork. We, we, you know, we used the labels and made yeah. our own artwork. Oliver did a great job on the original artwork, uh, Oliver Arcee. So he would ask me these things, and I thought it was innocent, like, hey, I just want to know the process. Brett never told me at the time that he was planning to do a Super Nintendo book at the time. And not like Brett was obligated to legally, 
But the fact of the matter is Brett knew I was going to eventually do a Super Nintendo book. And Brett gleaned information off of me in order to do the future book because his uh, Super Nintendo book uh, and NES book use Moby Game screenshots, for example. I think that's the part of it that bothers me the most, though, is that he thought that uh, he tried to pitch the narrative that... uh, you were inspired by his Super Nintendo book. Well, he thought I was inspired by everything, according to his words. Uh, So according to Brett, to get into that, Brett uh, tried to... This was a DM he sent me. You want to talk about this this DM he sent me? Um, um, He sent me this. We're going to go over DMs. It's all fair game, Brett. You want to post DMs. Um, This is from 2018. So this is when my Super Nintendo book is well on its way. It's coming out the next year. His had already come out by then, by the way. His are split into two volumes, uh, volume one and volume two, just because his publisher thought they could make more money by charging more for less information, but whatever. He said, hi, Pat. The talk of uh, Pat is copying Brett has reared its ugly head. I've never heard of anyone accusing me of copying him, by the way, ever. I don't know if you never no. by the way, but I'm trying to squelch that. Here's a quote from a guy on the Texas Retro Gamer Society group. I could care less about what people are saying to me on a Facebook group, by the way. Why? What do you think about Pat the NES punk copying your idea and pretending like your book doesn't exist? Uh, and here, Brett says, here was my response. Good question, Michael. I don't think Pat copied my idea exactly, but he has probably been influenced by my work as a professional video game writer for more than 20 years. I wrote the world's first comprehensive book guides, guidebooks to such consoles as the ColecoVision, Intellivision, Nintendo, etc. And back in 2010, Pat talked to me at ScrewAttack Game Convention about my NES book, which came out in 2009. He's not referring to it. He, he had a console guidebook. It wasn't a specific NES book. It sure. covered a swath of consoles consoles, by the way. Was it an NES book, uh, by the way? Uh, he told me that he was considering doing an NES book on, on, on his own. I might have said that in 2010. I don't remember. Um, the success of his NES book, for which I wrote more than 50 reviews and reflections for, pff, led him to wanting to do an SNES book. Like I said, he was probably influenced by my work with, without really copying it, just as I was influenced by Leonard Herman's ABC to the VCS book without copying it. As far as Pat acting like my book doesn't exist, that's pretty common among competitors. Fortunately, Pat and I are friends, and the competition is a friendly one. So Brett was trying to put online this notion that I was influenced by his work, which is absolutely false. Right. His, his book, if you've ever seen this console guide, totally black and white, they're very, very different. Very short descriptions of games. We're talking yes. 25 words in some cases, very short 30 words, not reviews. Uh, this book, which I'll hold up, this is full color. Full color. Screenshots for every game. Pictures of every game. Full reviews. Again, full reviews. This had not been done before. When this book was when this book was uh, released, that's why this book was successful partially because of that. So it's sort of insulting when I see that because it dismisses my sort of effort that I could have come up with these ideas by myself. And it's it's, it's sort of like uh, seeing any other topic and being like, well, because it previously exists, I was inspired by it. That's not the case at all. It's just it's just sort of weird to try to throw it out there. So I thought at this point that there was something weird going on here. That there was some there was some narrative that was trying to be portrayed online by Brett that I was like I don't know if, if this is something I can I want to be around. I'll, I'll be totally honest, there's something weird going on here. Yeah, I don't know what your takeaway of that is, but there's something weird happening here. Um, I'm sorry, I'm reading the I'm refreshing myself on the uh, next portion of this, which is the DM from our friend. We'll, we'll get that in a second. So Brett, along the way, he left this out in his blog post. 
Brett begged to be on my podcast twice. The not uh, so common podcast. Most, uh, not so common. You know the name of my podcast, Ian? The not so common podcast. <laughs> I didn't know if it was mostly common, not so common. There's a lot of words here. Yeah, so he he begged twice and he said, Yeah, can I come on and t- you know talk about the books? And I said, Well, Brett, that would be weird. Uh, while I've opened up my audience and I'm doing my own books. And unlike your books, Brett, I p- invest my own money into my books and tons of time in terms of like the NCC. We don't have to be free. book enemies, but no one uh, is going. Uh, Coke is not going to invite Pepsi over to give a speech at the Christmas party. But it's like my mm. books have a risk. Brett is paid up front, has a publisher. There's no risk involved at all mm. uh, for that stuff. So it doesn't make any sense. Then, then he said to me, Ian, well, I don't have to talk about the books. So uh, so then some people then would wonder, hey, hey, Brett, why, you're on Pat's podcast, but why could you bring up the books? He'd say, oh, Pat wouldn't allow me to. So it's a lose-lose. Why the hell would I do that? Sure. It doesn't make any sense. That's just natural. That's not be- me being an asshole. Uh, so no, that's, that's pretty much human th- interaction. That's just how it works. It's like if you want to do your book, good luck to you. I don't care. It's a separate product, like you said. But to spin this weird narrative in the writing that I was jealous of Brett doing a Super Nintendo book when I was planning my own. Well, it's weird because it's not like the, it it would make sense if you've done a Nintendo book and it does well, the very obvious next step is you do a Super Nintendo book. The NES book. These these ideas occur naturally in the wild. I had no idea how well the NES book would do. We did the, we did the kick. I launched the Kickstarter. Remember it was the NES marathon of 2015. Mm -hmm. And we, I, I, it broke $20,000 in an hour. And I was like, hey, Ducky. I was like, this is something. So anyway, so the jealousy thing is weird. And I wish Brett had done his research. And now I feel bad because uh, Brett's Stop balancing the duck. I love the duck. Brett's <laughs> argument is that I took out his writing only because of the superintendent book. When we said in the podcast, his writing came out part of it before the first print. The second print, Brett, again, I'll repeat this. I had to go back into print because it sold out nearly immediately on Amazon Thanksgiving. I do weekend. not require. I do not remember any drama between you two when you pulled the first ones out. They were just rewritten because they weren't very good. Yes, and the second one. So this is why I didn't want to say the first time because I feel bad for the two other authors who were also rewritten out of the third print. Brett, it wasn't just you, buddy. It wasn't just you. That kind of defeats your argument a little bit there. You oh, yeah. want- lots of people got stuff. I mean, there was a lot of changes between. There was two a lot and of changes, and people. I say, I saw someone say something really dumb about. Well, why didn't you like recall the first print of the book? You don't recall books. Like people that's not don't how books do that. Work. That's not how it this works. isn't a toaster oven with bad wiring that that burns your house down. This isn't a uh, this isn't an airbag that can decapitate you. That's just fucking silly and dumb. I'll just say that to the person who said that. I know who said that, by the way. Um, so anyway, so um. It's kind of weird that I have to go through this now because of this weird narrative he's trying to pay me to be being some sort of evil businessman. Where to me, I'm just protecting, first of all, protecting you, Brett, because I never said publicly, I rewrote your shit. I never said that in all these years. Never said that. I did, I did to say, yes, for the third print run, we rewrote about 60, which included yours and other writers as well. Sorry, Brett. That's the way it works. You were paid for everything. You were paid for writing that never ended up in the fucking book. Again, to repeat that. And so he brought up the also even the fact that I said that he didn't like the fact that I took shots at him for not paying his writers. He calls them just contributors, even though they write a majority of his, of his yeah. books. I, I have his book I bought used because there are a ton of used ones online. I wonder why. 
Uh, this is the NES Omnibus Volume 1 because they're broken up into two books. Here you go, advertising for your book, Brett. Uh, for example, look at Jaws. This is totally random. This is Jaws, Ian. Brett's writing is here. Uh, one and a half columns. Then he has two columns of quotes. Insider insights. This was a, a non-pay contributor, contributor writing an entire page, writing three or four times what Brett wrote for his review. They wrote your book, Brett. You don't have a book without them. That's why it's kind of insulting you didn't pay them. Yes. Yes. I find that very insulting. It's not like they contributed 20% to your book, 15%, and it's, oh, cool. I want to see my book in Barnes & Noble. You wrote your blog. You don't have books without your contributors. I don't either, Brett. The point is I pay my writers. I show them the proper respect when it comes to this. That bothers me as a writer. It should bother you, too. And if your argument is going to be that your publisher doesn't want to pay them, don't do your fucking book then. Or do a book without your contributors. Right. I'm sorry I'm cursing. Do some work on it. Put more work in when it comes to that. Um, so here's the weird thing, Ian. We both have a friend, Antoinette. Yes, we do. Antoinette actually contributed to the Super Nintendo uh, omnibus that Brett did. I was fine. Oh, cool. You want to write? That's fine. I, I ribbed her a little bit. Antoinette's a great artist. She's been a friend for several years. Super and, good artist. Very nice. Always takes care of us at conventions. Yeah. She, she's a peach. She's, she's team, team sushi. We'll go to sushi buffets. Um, so she told me, but way before this event happened that Ian was witness to, that the contributors, the people, excuse me, the writers of your book. I can't uh, recall if I was witness to this. I always was thinking, I, I think I might have been thinking about the Portland thing. Which you can bring up later. But the writers weren't even given digital copies of the book originally before it came out. Yeah, not That's even digital. Not digital. But they also, Brett, which you didn't put in your little blog post, they didn't get physical copies of the book. You couldn't, you couldn't put out for a physical copy of a book, a $40 or excuse me, $80 because it's, it's two different books. You couldn't do that. You couldn't, tell, you couldn't ask your publisher to do that. And again, if you say it costs money, then don't use contributors that aren't paid. That's, that's an ethical thing to me. That bothers me. Yeah. That's bothersome. You're making money off of their work, yet you can't provide a physical copy of the book. And instead, you basically say books are expensive, guys. You want to say what you want to run down the, her thread, our friend Antoinette? Uh, I mean, so basically, I mean, do you want to I'll, read? I'll, the, if you want to read the whole thing, I'll read, read it. it. Okay. Antoinette found out about the blog post that Brett did against me, and she was not happy. No. Because she has her own personal experiences with Brett at conventions. And so she wrote this. It's a good read. Story time about the time I wrote for a retro video game omnibus by a person who I will not name directly, but for reference, the name rhymes with wet rice, which is brilliant. I know wet rice through the retro game scene, not a friend, but a familiar face and someone that travels in the same circles within the scene. I, I met wet many times. This is important later. Anyway, <laughs> wet rice was beginning work on his next set of books and put an open call out for on Facebook for writers. This was a no-pay gig, but it was for a friend of friends, so I figured, why not? So I reached out to Wet, and he supplied a list, the list of games still available to write a blurb on. These were not reviews as much as they were little slice-of-life experiences with these games. A little weird for a reference omnibus, but I appreciate the different approach to the subject. I wrote a couple of blurbs, I think for Race Driving and Tomodom Pumbaa's Jungle Games, sent them off, made some requested revisions, 
I didn't think much more of it. And while after, and while after writing, I received the message that no writers would receive comp copies of the book, free copies. Again, a little weird, but whatever. Other writers pr- pretty quickly became upset about this, and their response went from wet, from wet essentially boiled down to, you should just be excited your writing is in a book, being at Barnes & Noble, and simultaneously, books are expensive to make, guys. I was privy to a Facebook group of that happening where he asked writers to promote his book, and the writer said... Oh, that's next. Um, sure. But the writers at the time of this Facebook chat said... You want us to promote your book when we didn't receive a copy. There was a private message I remember seeing. Someone sent me that. Um, much later, a message was received from Wet, which referenced a certain NES Punk's book and put forth a put forth a Wet versus Pat narrative. This message incentivized reviewing and spreading the word about the books we wrote for an exchange for PDF copies of the book. So I was I forgot about this. I forgot about this, and this this screenshot goes against everything about, oh, we should coexist. This isn't a competition. Pat's jealous. So no PDFs were sent originally until my Super Nintendo book was on the way in 2019. Brett sent this out to the group. As many of you know, popular YouTuber is a, is a, a popular YouTuber is self-publishing a Super Nintendo book this summer. It was out that fall. As such, I'm making a final marketing campaign for the SNES Omnibus books before his book comes out. I have never did a marketing campaign when a competitor's book was coming out, never asked my contributors to, to uh, do a push marketing when, when a contributor's coming out. His books were already out. Super Nintendo book came out a year before, Volume 1 and Volume 2 came out months before. There was no reason to do this at all, at all. Sure. This is the, this is the jealousy thing that's being pushed. Well, again, I think my bigger problem here is uh, that he tries to incentivize it. And to give him a free digital copy yeah, by marketing to get a even to get even a digital fucking copy of the book they contributed to something with an infinite supply that doesn't need to be printed that isn't going to co- cost wet rice any money yes uh that's the exchange that's pay f- that, that's that's slimy so going back slimy going back to Antoinette's thread here um <clears throat> This week is okay. The message incentivized reviewing and spreading the word about the books we wrote for an exchange for PDF copies of the books. This would be considered a, a a bold move, Cotton. We already knew we weren't getting paid, but for a writer to dangle exposure bucks in front of the actual writers of his book, your writers, Brett, not your contributors, refuse to even let these writers see their own work without paying, blowing smoke, and to simultaneous complain about the cost of being a writer. Great choice. Love that. I should also mention that at some point, Wet begged people for positive reviews and res- in response to a single one-star review, which mentioned the physical quality of the book, I have never asked a writer, even anyone else, to write positive reviews of the book. That's scummy yeah. as hell. Um, more smoke blowing. Anyway, let's fast forward to the next too many games after the release of this book. This would have been in 2018. I was there at the event. I was watching a friend's table while he was at a panel, maybe me, and who should stroll by but wet with copies of his book in hand. I thought that maybe he would show me my work in the damn book since I didn't fluff him to get a copy. Remember when I said me already knowing wet would be important? Wet proceeded to introduce himself to me and try to sell me the book that I wrote for. I reminded wet that not only did we know each other, but that I wrote for said book. Wet looked me dead in the eye and said, oh, and walked away. He made the 180 from wet, overly friendly book salesman to wet. Carl salesman, if you said you had bad credit in a split second, to jet. 
Moral here, don't be a wet. Appreciate the people that do work for you. It's one thing not to offer copies to your writers. It's a whole other thing to walk up to one of your writers and try to sell them the book that they wrote for and then just walk away without acknowledging that you didn't recognize them. It happens, appearances change, and sometimes you don't recognize someone you know. Don't just say, oh, and just dot her off when you realize you aren't making a sale, though. Before and let me apologize for my terrible formatting. I rarely use Twitter, blah, 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 blah. We love you. Also, let me be clear. When I say be appreciative, a sincere thank you can suffice. What did... Thank, did thank people for the work via Facebook message. However, this thank you was undermined by the request for positive reviews and free advertising in the same message as this. Thank you. Did not recognizing me and, and trying to sell me the book was just icing on the unappreciated, unappreciated cake. It made it abundantly clear that the initial call for writers was a blind cattle call. So I have not a whole lot of experiences with him, but one of my experiences and something I took away was he was very weird about trying to sell that book because <clears throat> um, I was at a Portland retro gaming. It was one of the years where it was like one of the first years where you had a booth and, 18 I, was, or 17. and I was still in the uh, the YouTube area with like Norm and some other folks. And uh, yeah, he came over and was like, hey, guys, I've got this book. Do you want to buy this book? a guidebook and i'm like no and then he goes he's like norm you want to buy this book and like it was just real like door-to-door salesman stuff it was very just strange not caring who you were you're both friends of mine it would be really fucking weird yeah it was just it was strange it was very strange so, and he was aware of who we were he said our like, names but it didn't it, cross his mind i it just like I said, it's a weird way to sell something. It, 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 it would be like if you grabbed your DVDs and went around and started begging people to buy your DVDs. Sure. I mean, I try to wholesale my book at events, but that's the wholesale. I, I don't go door to door to sell my uh, the individual copies, but to dealers, I do do that. Well, sure. That's that's we're not dealers. <laughs> yes. I try to say, hey, you want to buy 10 of my books, 12 of them for your store. Anyway, so um, just a couple more things. I won't get into the really weird, embarrassing story where he embarrassed himself in front of uh, one of my big YouTube friends at an event trying uh, to sure. sell the book. I'll leave that be, Brad. I want to show you a little bit of mercy, but I can bring it up if need be. I'm not firing off all my bullets right now. Um, so the other thing I want to talk about is this. This is more of a human interaction condition thing. It's a little warmer here, by the way. Um, when you associate with people that attack other people, how do you think we're going to respond? Brett has said numerous times publicly he's friends with Tommy Tallarico, a man who has come after us, tried to hurt us professionally, made fun of uh, Ian's medical conditions, made fun of our personal appearances. And for you to think that you can just be friendly to us, like none of that matters, I'm sorry, maybe I'm a lesser person for that. It's hard for me to look past those things. It's hard for me for you to think it's okay to associate with uh, someone who's uh, now a known swindler, which makes you a shill. It's hard. It's harder and harder for me to let these things go because this affects us. It might be like, well, who cares what Tommy Talrico says? But it it's insulting to try to swallow that, at least to me. I don't know about you. Sure. It gets insulting. Yeah, it does. It's tough. It's tough to take you seriously if you're regularly chatting. Having someone as an acquaintance that you maybe say hi to um, every once in a while, whatever. But, uh, I mean, you, you were best buds with Tommy. Yeah, you're best buds. And uh, you know what, Ian? I just, it's, it's getting warm. I should probably take, you think I should take this off? You should take it off. Oh, man. Even I even, you know, turn the heat off here. Ah! 
Oh, let me just stretch a little bit for everyone here. Uh. Brett. Brett, buddy. You're friends with Jeff Tarzia, Smash JT. You did a video with him. I know you two talk. And you did a video with him after he publicly called me a fraud and called us CU Fraudcast. Oh, his video attacking Ian's medical issues will come a little bit later. So the point is this, Brett. And for everyone else out there, watch who the hell you associate with. We're not going to be cool, at least me. I'm not going to be cool with you if you're friends with someone that attacks us. That's just not how this is going to go. No, that would be be stupid. And if you don't understand that, you're going to have to take some social interaction training course. It's disgusting. It's disappointing that I have to make these things clear to people. Don't associate with scumbags. That attack. Us. I mean, that's kind of like the number one rule in life is just don't associate with scumbags. Yes. There are too many people. This is what it comes down to, I think. Uh, and it's the case with, with Brett. Um, too many people look at my enemies. Uh, too many people think my enemies' enemies are my friends. Sure. And that gets you into horrible situations. Because just because you got one rallying point doesn't mean that, you know, everyone's a good person or you, you can't. You can't do that. And that's that's literally, I think, how so much of that group of people kind of congealed. Sure. Is because it, it was a, it's a, my enemies, enemies are my friends sort of thing. And uh, yeah, that's it. Watch who you're friends with. Watch who you associate with. One more thing. I almost forgot. Um, this was brought to my attention. In a great YouTube review, oh. <laughs> a great YouTube review. I want to get the name of the channel right. Uh, it's Jonathan. Uh, is it VG Maps on YouTube? Yes, VG Maps on YouTube. Jonathan reviewed every NES book on the market. There's like three or four. Uh, guess which one won his best of show? Take a guess. Wasn't this one, by the way? Um, but he pointed out something an error in here, which is hysterical. Because it kind of goes to show some of the care that goes into this stuff. But also, something that I should have been uh, probably apologized for happening. If you look at the, it's on a review, the write-up of Blackjack. I'll have to do an inset. Uh, Ian, you want to look at what, what's on the left side of that page of Blackjack there? Is it box art or something? Oh, yeah, that's the box side of Blackjack from your video on Blackjack with your face on the box. My face is in... A competitor's NES book. I did this Photoshop job for uh, Casino Calamity, which came out early 2010, where I reviewed all the all the casino games with yeah. my pal AJ. Brett knew about this at that point. Brett never reached out, never apologized to me. So was this a rib at me? Was this an honest mistake? Was this malicious? Either way, I feel like I should have been contacted and be like, hey, oh, I feel like it was, I, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like it was just they grabbed the they wrong box art and were lazy and didn't recognize it. Either way, I, th- what did you, I think an apology should be in order. A little bit. I don't even know if it's an apology. I just feel like an acknowledgement. My stupid face is in your book forever, Brett. I just think it's funny as hell. I mean, honestly, if I really wanted to, I can make a thing of this. Because it's like you're using my likeness without my permission, but like it's uh, it's an honest error. But like I don't know if you're going to do a second print run of these to get my face out of there. But uh, that's that speaks to what you know the quality right there. That's all. It's fucking silly. My stupid fucking face in the book. 
I could when I found out I laughed for like a minute and a half. Oh yeah, no, I thought it was hilarious. Antoinette laughed forever. I thought it was hilarious. She's still laughing to this day. <laughs> People, you better beware. People, you better prepare. If you come at him, he just might clap back. It's Petty Pet. <laughs> uh, Ian, uh, I've been involved in a in a past video game collecting documentary that uh, came out. It was a bits of yesterday. It came out like six, like five years ago. Came out before the pandemic. Didn't think much of it at the time. Um, I was exhausted when I filmed for it. I remember I was at Retropalooza, and I was like, I was exhausted from 2016. Uh, my that's when I did my like 10 conventions like in 12 weeks mm-hmm. to sell the book thing. You remember me? I was yeah. miserable. Oh yeah, you were. You were absolutely. It, it was a bad time for both of us. Ian Ian had his bad his bad stuff happening medically. Yep. I was miserable from running around <laughs> selling books and constantly traveling. Um, so that came out. I was like, this is fine. It, it, it's harmless. It's fine. It, it shows off people's collections. You talk about some rare games. It's fine. This this other one came out that I knew about, but I didn't really look into. And it's called uh, Rarity Retro Video Game Collecting in the Modern Era. It was released October 5th, 2021 here. And people started bringing it up more the past few weeks. Like, hey, Pat, you should look into this. This thing comes off as an advertisement for a certain grading company. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll look into this. I'll it's watch interesting. It. Uh, it's weird how it does because I, I know we're, you'll get into the notes further, but it's interesting to me because I'm going to be honest, there are some decent conversations in this documentary. Absolutely. There are definitely some decent conversations in this documentary. Uh, my, my friend Stefan, uh, Art Nintendo Power, your friend, has a, you know, a good segment where he's talking about art. And I thought there were a couple of people. Uh, Heidi, I don't remember her last name, had some good thoughts on collecting. And uh, Robert Komen in particular, I really liked a lot of the things he had I to love, say. I love Robert. I'd love to meet Robert, have a sandwich with him. I, 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 I really enjoyed the, the things he had to say on collecting. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to lump everyone who's in this together because, because I, it, it, there, there are good things in this, this documentary. I really enjoyed some of the stuff that I, I saw. Uh, Robert Coleman's thoughts on nostalgia were, were very healthy to me because I feel like I, I'm, it, people, listeners of the podcast – uh, are no stranger to my thoughts that I, I, I consider nostalgia, if I'm being uh, extreme, I can I, I call it nostalgia poison, uh, nostalgia poisoning, because it can permanently lock you into this bad thought uh, uh, this, this, this echo chamber of things were better than they used to. You don't look forward to the future. You spend so much time stuck in the past. Uh-huh. Robert Coleman had an interesting way of phrasing it, I thought. And nostalgia does not need to be that way because, as he puts it, he's like, nostalgia is, is you know, uh, it, it's a way to hold on to a key memory without forgetting it. You have an object it's that reminds attached. you sure. it reminds you of a key memory and he's sure. like i think he says something like that's where nostalgia is good because it, it, it keeps you from forgetting some of these memories of your youth you get a fuller yeah. picture of yourself i actually have a note on here robert mirrors my experience of recollecting stuff from your past sure you remember and before i get into uh, any criticism i have i want to say that uh, this isn't you know don't go after any of the people involved with producing and directing this obviously or i'm gonna try to keep this separate but motivations oh, i will talk about so like, what i uh, what i think is weird by the about this just to, and i'm gonna let you go is that it's bookended by pretty good segments yes. and then right in the center it's just like out of nowhere it jumps into water commercial mode for about 20 25 minutes, minutes. 20 25 minutes yeah we'll get into it but so don't go after any producers or directors but there is clearly a motivation here to paint graded game collecting and WADA games in particular 
as the next big thing. Get in early, even though by then it was too late, which we'll talk about. And I really wonder, Ian, I'm glad. First of all, I was glad. Now I know. I'm not saying I have to be invited to participate in these. But you would not want to ask someone like me and Ian to participate in this. Because if you asked us about graded games and WADA, we would have told you what we thought. The things we said in the podcast for at that point, for about two and a half years at that point, where this seems fishy. We think this is a huge bubble. We think this is going to burst, which Robert does have a comment. He's the only one that says, yeah, I don't think this is going to last. This could be a fad. You were right, Robert. You're absolutely right. Because by the time this came out, the bubble was starting to even burst later in 2021. Definitely by 2022, sure. it started going downhill, as, as we've covered. But... I really wonder what the collectors who participated in this thought upon watching it. And I'm not saying they have to publicly come out and condemn this or not. But if I was a collector and I was a participant in this and you asked me about how I got into collecting, nostalgia, inter- interesting things in my collections. Oh, this is what this documentary is about. And then I watch it and the literal middle middle third of this or middle part of it is advertising graded games and WADA. I would be like, what the hell is going on here? It would not have seemed so much like an advertisement if there was anyone t- looking at both sides or more than one company, but the brief mention of VGC, and granted, I know people don't like VGC, but it was like, let's trash VGC, yes. let's trash VGC, then went into VGA. the dentist segment about, um, <clears throat> went into the dentist segment about, uh, you know, collecting and everything he has is WADA, and then it literally goes into a WADA segment talking yes. about WADA games. So, yeah, VGA, Video Game uh, Rating Authority. VGA, sorry. Yeah. So there was literally a whole minute about, this is why VGA sucks. This is why you should grade with WADA games instead. And at that point, I'm like, what the hell is going on? I mean, on that's here? an out, I mean, that's out, it was an out advertisement. It was an advertisement. Yeah. The director, to his credit, admits that I've gotten into, at the beginning, he talks about it, then later on, I've gotten into Genesis collecting, then graded Genesis games he shows, and he has them in cases. And I'm like, what the hell is happening here? I'm not saying the director, <laughs> I'm not saying the director wanted to do this to pump the market but if you told me that i would be like well this is strange what is going on here so i love the nostalgia segment i loved the last segment with with our pal our nintendo yeah uh stefan at the end talking about all all the one-off art pieces nintendo power letters things like that the little clay things that are great from the from photographing the yep. issue. that's amazing uh that stuff that really uh the console uh, variant guy uh, yes that was uh, cool in, in europe that was fantastic. That's getting into something interesting and different about, okay, we're preserving different things about game collecting. And I thought uh, uh, Heidi's streamer name had a really good conversation about why people would want the physical thing. Sure. It's like, you know, if you have spot, it, 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 I just, I like that because it echoed my sentiments exactly. It's the difference between having like Spotify and a record collection is the difference between having, you know, ROMs and emulators and it's having the real game. It's a process. Yeah. And the key point she pointed out um, that I love that I always mention is that when you have to go through this process, you are more likely to enjoy the whole thing. Sure. When I put on a record, and she mentions this too, and it's true, when I put on a record, I don't skip any tracks. It's more annoying to get up and move the needle if there's a song I don't really like. You listen to the whole record. When you hook up an NES and you pop a Nintendo cartridge in there, you're more likely to pay attention to that one game Correct. instead of being like, oh, I died once at this level, I'm frustrated, I'm going to load something else. Your investment factor is different. Yeah, there, there were some segments in it that really yeah. kind of made collecting... Uh, there, you could understand why someone would collect. Sure, stuff. sure. 
Um, I wrote down lots of comments as you can see. Ian, I don't see. I don't. I don't have your comments uh, up in front of me. Oh, I've got. Yeah, I've got this list. Real quick, uh, just on a technical level, the lower third descriptions when it say one's names, the text was super tiny. This is a little nitpick. I couldn't read. Like, uh, I guess it was on a big screen. I could read like what the people were that were talking. Uh, the audio mixes off for a couple of the people. It's like it went stereo on some dialogue. That's a little nitpick thing. Just a little mixing thing you can fix. Uh, That's all. Some other uh, little nitpick things. Uh, the fictional bits that bothered me real quick. They would th- they would have someone say something like, "Hey, when I woke up in the morning, sometime." I've been thinking about a game. They would cut to a, a person acting in the oh. bed. I'm just like, that's not necessary for a documentary. But that's again, that's a little, that's a minor nitpick. That, that was sort of weird. Um, just some stuff. I noticed that a lot of collectors, even some of the ones that I did like in here, uh-huh. uh, they don't know what they have. Um, and, and some of the collectors obviously looked like they knew more, and maybe it was something they didn't really know about from like a system that they weren't as versed in. Sure. But like. Uh, the the dentist at one point I can't remember what it is I think it's the circle seal he goes yeah I uh, I got this my buddy told me this was really rare and it's like like you're outing yourself as yeah. having no knowledge about this in the documentary and that should not that should edit it out they should not have included yeah it no they should not have included that yeah, sure uh, if they, yeah because that looks really really bad um, I also the other problem is this documentary just ends it literally goes from R of Nintendo uh, coll- uh, collection to it's done. There's right. like no end cap. I'll get to this in a second. Uh, but what we're, I want to focus in on that bad part of the film because this this mars the entire film, obviously. It, it's a walking advertisement for it. So it talks about um, Dennis Kahn, the founder of, of, of Wada Games, um, how he was a collector since he was a little kid. Uh, he, he found a stay events in, in the wild. They showed a VHS like someone took a home video of him saying, hey, I found all these games. I could sell these all for seven or $8,000. And when I see that, it's like when, when I found stuff in the wild, Ian, my first thought wasn't like, I can sell this and this is the amount. Sure, It's right. just this stuff is going in my collection now. Right, yeah. I never called Ian at the swap meet. Hey, Ian, I found a bag of games of Turbo Graphics games. I can sell this all for several hundred dollars. So it was super weird and it sort of told on, on itself there. And But that segued into the grading game section, which was Collector's Revolution. It was called Collector's Revolution, this section, Ian. Revolution. Did you I, pick up on that? I think I missed that. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but isn't that kind of... You're sort of painting a brush on about this is the next big thing, revolution. Sure. Yes. So uh, there's some weird quotes in here. They did admit WADA has control of the market due to relationship with heritage auctions. So that was the only time in that section where they really hit upon the relationship between the people involved, the players like Jim Hopper and that owns mm-hmm. heritage auctions. And wow, why do you think they have a relationship with WADA even before they were established? Uh, now, it's a blink and you miss it's it. It's a blink and you miss it. Um, this This quote bothered me from nes complex chris this is nothing this is nothing personal i don't want you to take this wrong way i've met the guy i like the guy but i yeah i i I meet him at the conventions but i do uh, have a comment on it he said grading games is doing history a favor how is it doing history a favor by by grading a game? Well, and he wasn't the only person to say that. The comment I was going to comment on was just the one where he's like, everyone wants these, you know. Uh, oh, sure. And no offense, but it's just like, I am in the position where I don't understand genuinely how anyone wants to collect sealed games. You're in the position where you understand that people want to collect sealed games, but I, it's nothing is definite. I am not jealous of these games. Uh, I just... I. 
like I said, it's it's what it's it's diff. People want different shit out of collecting. Sure. And I, you know, there are lots of people who don't want that stuff. It was always a defense on Nintendo Age. I brought before, hey, you're jealous of this shit. I was like, do you know how much money I've spent on games? It's a crutch to to, to bring up the jealousy. Do you know how much money I've spent on games in 25 years where I can afford uh, some of this stuff? Trust me, I've spent a, a lot of money on games. So, but going back to the grading games is doing history of favor. It's a conflation, Ian, of grading with preservation. Oh, yeah, and that wasn't he wasn't the only person who said it. It was sure. preservation is not. Is that slabbing? Grading games uh, and slabbing them is not preservation. Preservation yeah. is uh, dumping the ROMs and scanning the box art. It's 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 what places like Gaming Alexandria do with their sure. current with their current project, where they are literally scanning every box, every manual, every cartridge, front, back, all pages for Famicom games. That's preservation. But even if you make the argument, Ian, that hey, this physically preserves it. You can buy protectors that and not grade the well, game, and also that are airtight. There is a UV, lot. There is a lot to be said. Uh, uh, Andrew Borman from the uh, the uh, Museum of Play, uh, Kelsey from the Video Game History Foundation. There is importance to being able to experience it all as it was, but you cannot do that if it's slapped. Yes, you can't. The, the original experience wasn't this game is sealed. The original experience was opening the game, putting it in a, in a in an in NES on a CRT and playing it. That's the experience. You can you can preserve game history by making sure all the games are backed up and all the re, uh, related art is safe. Sure. You can also preserve game history by being able to provide a way to play them the way they were meant to be played, like they will do at the Museum of Play. If you're a researcher and you go and you want to research, they have everything there so you can set it up. But the key is preservation. It, it's the experience and the data and the art. Putting it in a, a box preserves nothing. In fact, you can't even preserve the experience that way because you can't use it. Sure. So I, and, and like I, said, I do understand that some people would want a slab game to put on the shelf. There's a couple that I would have, sure. but it's Back not. It's I wouldn't call it. I, I wouldn't call it preservation. No, it's not. It's not preservation. That's different. Uh, then the water ad starts about 35 minutes in. Uh, they they said um, provides confidence to buyers. They bring up counterfeits, preventing counterfeits. I I literally wrote down LOL because obviously counterfeits have gotten through the system. Legitimize and elevate video game collecting elevate it video game collecting has been pretty big it's made mainstream news which we'll get into later in the podcast way before wada started grading games sure that's in, that's sort of insulting i think to some longtime collectors knocking down barriers to allow more people to come in get in early what you're doing is creating an ecosystem for for rich people to to speculate that's that's your barriers. Like, hey, it's legitimate. We have grades on this now. They could have bought these rare games and even these sealed games before WADA games existed. Sure. You created what you created was an artificial ecosystem to boost the price up. That's all that was. And then they come to my my absolute favorite segment, Ian, at 3824 in the dentist. Eric Nyerman, who talks unanswered for four and a half minutes. I clocked it. Four and a half minutes of a guy who created an LLC and got investor friends and neighbors to buy these games. That the, the 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 collector we never heard of before that weird article because he wasn't collecting games. Says avid video game collector. This was a person on camera on YouTube on live streams, literally saying, "I had no idea video game collecting was a thing." Before Heritage Auctions and Water Games uh, blew sure. it up. 
Always been a collector my entire life. You should have fucking specified of what, because it wasn't the video games. They showed him with baseball cards, other shit. Yeah. Should have specified this guy came in the last year or two. And this is where this really bothered me. There was absolutely no pushback into any of this information being peddled at this point. Favorite quote ever. We both wrote this down. The seal provides organic rarity. I needed. I, I I yelled after the second time he said it, and then he proceeded to sell, to say it like three or four more times. Organic rarity. Is there such a fucking thing as organic rarity? What the hell are we talking about here? What the hell? He talks about how he's turned down turned down offers for hundreds of thousands of dollars. No verification of that stuff actually happening. But saying, hey, yeah, I spent $100,000. I turned down 500000 Sure, why not? We'll take your word for it. Pump up your own market, Eric. Go ahead. Sure. Pump up the volume. That's pump fine. Up the volume, pump up the volume, he says, we prefer, I prefer water grading over VGA. Straight up advertisement at that point. Why wasn't someone from VGA contacted to be like, hey, we thought we did a cool thing. It didn't exist back in the late 2000s, 2010. If you're going to talk about collecting and rarity and graded video games, you got to have all the, uh, the players. All the players. VGA was the, was the OG for, for like nine, ten years. And at that one. point in time, I think it was probably already announced that CGC was going to get involved. Like getting, getting, yes. getting a blurb from all these people Absolutely. would have been, it, it, it actually would have made it a more interesting documentary too, because I'd like to know what all three of them think the future is of and, this and what their what their strategies were and yeah. how they viewed things that would be in, I, like i honestly as every day that goes by video game collecting grows more and more tiresome like the big collections and stuff to deal with it's not like super fun for me um i wasn't looking forward to this going in not because of any i didn't really know anything going sure. in i just it's not really the th- i know about collecting it's not what I, sure. I needed to be educated on but that would have been an interesting thing sure. i would have found that interesting maybe how like for example like cgc has been in comics rating for decades how they're yeah, like, that knowledge over they're yes. not a startup like wada was give me you know. give me a little info on what each of these uh, grading companies thinks and what they're doing Wada speaks to me as a collector. I almost threw up when I heard that quote from Eric. They speak to you as a collector. And then the mantra, this is in quotes, mantra of jealousy that games are meant to be played. Mantra of jealousy. I love it. I fucking love it. And then what you talked about before, right after that, was NES Complex saying that the truth is every gamer wants them. People that are serious collectors wish they can get them. Uh, there is some. Je- I disagree wholeheartedly. There is some jealousy. I know that I have it, Chris. I'm not judging you if you're jealous of people having steel games. We don't have that same jealousy. We we don't. I, I don't know how I can convince you of that. Um, well, I, just like I can never I, convince someone that there's no reason. I, like it, 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 one, yeah, whatever. Then there's then there's uh, six minutes straight about Dennis Khan to paint him as a nice guy, and. <sighs> This was on the tail end. This was like right. It was weird because this came out. This documentary came out a month after Carl's video. It was about roughly a month after Carl's video. Just so, crazy. Just thinking about the timing, the timing, and how so, long it's been. So I don't know what was inserted, but you had one guy in the hat bring up a death threat against Dennis Khan. And this is what I'm going to say about bringing up death threats like that. And this is why you don't do it. There's two reasons you don't do it. One, you don't want to leg- legitimize like assholes acting on the fringe by acknowledging them. Uh, that's what experts say, never to acknowledge this shit that happens. But second, what you're doing is trying to uh, 
paint people with legitimate criticisms about water games in the same light as we belong in that group as people sending that you can't lump them all together and i thought that was i don't want to say despicable but i knew what was happening with that being included i don't appreciate that i really don't appreciate things like that being included um so it was literally six minutes of, of dennis walking through his stuff and then people were saying that it's a misconception that dennis is sitting back collecting money from water and never was a collector I don't understand why why that that sentence fried my brain because you can be a collector and still make tons of money off your business venture and I I would honestly prefer if Dennis wasn't a collector because he has a vested interest then because Wada increases the values of the games in his collection he owns tons of sealed games right in I never brought this up before. Now it's perfect time. The Overstreet Guide to Collecting <laughs> Games. Mm-hmm. It's a fine little thing by Carrie Wood. You know what the back of this is. An advertisement. Is your collection for sale? We'll find you a great home. From Dennis Khan. Looking to buy out your collection. Buy as much as you can. This is before Wada uh, Games existed. This stuff is all interconnected. It's all wild web. Wada Games made Dennis Khan and his friends instantly richer. By what they had in their collection. You can't deny that. The values went through the fucking roof. Oh, yeah. Come on, people. You're killing me here. I'm not, we're not fucking Sherlock Holmes here. This stuff is out in the open with this stuff. Anyway, that's all I got to say about that. Segment. Anyway. Anyway. Where is it? I almost hit the I'm a shill thing. Anyway. Um, I love the s- section real quick. I didn't hate all of this. I love the section about the rental stickers on games because I love yep. it keeping rental stickers. Someone had a chiller that was a rental version. Yeah. I have a clamshell a chiller rental. Remember the remember I had to buy it because the, the original game didn't work in the, for, for the NES Marathon. It was mm-hmm. glitchy. Yeah. So I bought the replacement that had the clamshell. It was a rental. That's right. You did. Um, talking about the Bible games, how uh, uh, Chris said, hey, I remember seeing at a Christian store. That's cool stuff. This is what I like to see. We'll end this segment on this again. What would I want to see in the future? In an actual, like, I already said by what I would want to see. I, I want to see like the. I want. I want. I want to see um, interviews with all three of the grading companies. But in general, what would you want to see? Is there, like if, if you if you can do well, no, that, that's what I would want to see. I, I would want to see something more 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 open. Okay, this is what I want to see. I want it. I want a documentary to focus on the evolution of game collecting going back to the eighties. Sure. Like back then, what people were honestly doing were like, hey. There's an old game that I want to uh, find out or buy. They literally had to like put out classified ads in like computer gaming and you know mag- mm-hmm. like, Hey, help me! I'll buy your games. How that evolved? That, we're talking about the first run of collectors. People like people at at the video game history museum, like uh, like Joe Santulli and Sean Kelly and people people like that. These were the people that really started compiling this stuff and how mm-hmm. that evolved to archiving preservation like how you make that steps like talking to frank it's like at what point did you make that leap you know what i mean like right at, one, at some point you had to make a leap mm-hmm. yeah things like that how about someone talk to mike mike etler mike etler was was super important documenting all the nes games in the 90s sure uh he, he's like sort of full on the radar i want to talk to these people because yeah. that's when there was nothing to go off of. Me and Ian are, are, you know, standing on the, you say, standing on the shoulders of giants. Like, they established a foundation, these people in the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. For Absolutely. everyone else to sort of jump in at some point. That's what I want to see. So I'm sorry if I ruffled any feathers with the criticism, but that, especially since that documentary, the timing of that documentary was so bad in terms Things of... Things have changed a lot. 
the the bottom has fallen out of the market of great again. It's really interesting uh, to see like the difference the, the differences between what was like if you made that documentary just a year later, what would be being said? Six seven months later, even if it came out, I think people would be like, "What are you doing? The bottom's already fallen out." Sure, you know it was bad in terms of the timing. That's all I got to say about that. All right, we got uh we got we got a Patreon, don't we, Ian? Uh, we do patreon.com slash see podcast go uh, look at what we offer you we will be offering you stuff in the future as well get uh hangouts get get the hangouts get the Writing. writings join the pin club, pin club get ready for specials and more we do a hangout this weekend <sighs> saturday i think it's gonna have to be next week week after okay yeah uh so yeah i'll let you know tonight i keep forgetting in second place this is a poll topic you vote on every week uh, best games that had unique controls, thirty nine percent. Man, will that make it on the on the three fifty? That's a strong one. It's a strong one. In first place, uh, which we kind of alluded to before, important moments in game collecting history, sixty one percent. Someone in the comments, I think Jindal Fox said, "What does that even mean?" We're going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this means there are certain points in time, certain things that happened in the past. You want to say. If game collecting has been around for like 40 years or so, since like the early 80s, certain things that happened that either helped change or morphed like the hobby and things that happened. Not all not all good, by the way. There's been some bad stuff right. that happened. But that's what I want to talk about. Uh, I, I mean, I think some of the better stuff, we're going to look at the better stuff. I, you know, I look at when I started, you know, calling myself, I guess, a collector of games, which probably would have been 98 or 99. And I was buying a lot of Nintendo stuff from the flea market. Um and the internet was, I mean, still kind of relatively young, but I, I mean, I was used to it. Internet was luckily that was something I got used to at a young age. So, you know, when, when this first started and people first started collecting NES games and rarity lists started to be compiled, um, people started to collect full sets before Nintendo age, before any of that, people would meet up on various message boards. You know, they, they'd go to various fan sites or shrines and some of them would have, message boards so that's how like information about a lot of these games was spread around early it was through things called like uh you know web shrines where basically they would be fan websites built uh about a specific game and they would oftentimes have uh maps or an faq or whatever sometimes they would have like a little message board or a guest book um but there were some that were a little bit bigger. The one that I always bring up that I, you know, want to make probably the website I had the most fun spending time on uh, was TSR's NES Pit. TSR's NES Pit was a great website yep. because it was one of those. It was it was, I think, for a lot of people of a certain age, it was the sparking point maybe for at least NES collecting, if not collecting in general. Oh, it, it helped me. Because his website uh, was a, yeah. a repository of just information on the weirder stuff that was out there. Um, the the unlicensed games, the porn games. Bible games. Bible games. All of that stuff was kind yep. of talked about. Uh, overseas games were talked about. And uh, it was a really interesting website. And it had an active message board at the time that I was a part of. And that's where I did some of my first online trades for games and stuff like that. The problem with the... And, and there were all sorts of these websites. I think one was called Nestopia that I went to. And honestly, a uh, lot of us went back and forth I brought between. up this one. I forgot about NESHQ was one. Yeah, NESHQ. There's, they still have lists of stuff and hardware mappers and stuff like that. Yeah. So we would all bounce around between these websites and post on the various message boards. But still, the problem with this approach was obviously it fragmented the community. Sure. It fragmented the community. And there's 
honestly, there's some benefits to a fragmented community. You're more likely to get better deals. Um, once the community becomes whole, everyone starts to see what everything is going for and prices start to normalize. Yeah. Uh, but it's still that, to my point, that evolved. And then we had GameFAQs, which had message boards for every game because it was all encompassing. And we started sure. moving towards these websites Mobile where games. instead of shrines to specific games or hyper specific sites for one type of system, like, um, you know, the, uh, like, like the TSR's NES pit, um, you start getting the all in one, uh, info dumps where getting this information becomes a lot easier and it's easier to find people to communicate with about it um problematically and i I don't gatekeep but the more popular something becomes the more problems appear and the prices start to rise as more people want them so there was some negatives to it too but i think the internet both good and bad was probably Uh, the big biggest turning point for game collecting yeah so because in the 90s it was just it was it was the domain of flea markets Sure, but they, so you had forums, people coming together, gathering information. Nintendo Age was a little bit later; that was two thousands. But you had you had forums to allow people to share information. Nintendo uh, Age was kind of like the ultimate version of the websites that I was describing sure. for Nintendo, where it started gathering everything, and then they had their databases. So it was a little more organized, more, a more accurate rarity but, list, which is of course going to come about when you have information coming from across the country. Sure. So I brought up Mike Etler before. I met Mike, hey, Mike, you get two mentions. I'd love to talk to you sometime. I don't know anything about him, but I think he was in Jersey at one point. Um, Mike, Mike doing the NES rarity list that I literally even would print out. Oh, yeah. We all did. And carry with me and check off the games I had. We all did back and in the day. And it was extraordinary. You know why it was extraordinary? Because at the time, you had no fucking clue how many NES games there, there were at the end. Yeah. No one was tracking that anymore. I mean, it's not an accurate list now, but back in the day, it was indispensable. Nintendo Power, Nintendo Power had their um, one-off. Uh, they put out the little, like the smaller pamphlets of this is the game list that you can get for the systems. Remember, they were like printed. I can show you my copy. It, they did try, but those were only official releases, first of all. Right. Um, and, but not everyone had those. They're not. You, you don't find those often. I, don't think, I think I'm missing one of the variants. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'll show you later. Okay, but um, they put out basically collectors' guides. Like this is the things that came out and what what who published them and what year. Okay, they were they were they were like appendices you can get separate from Nintendo Power. I got you. Basically, uh, I don't think they sent them to you for free. I don't think, or maybe once in a while. Anyway, so some people like Mike were important because once you have a list, a list unlocks everything. Yeah, you can investigate. I had no idea. Like, what things to do research on? You can look at the game and start. Yeah, what the hell? I remember looking at this list by saying, "Ian, what the hell is Piraticus Conflict by Color Dreams?" Right, it's actually a pretty good game, actually. Um, so it was interesting because that. And yes, these weren't complete. Sometimes there were games on here that didn't exist that there were rumored because there was no list officially of some of this stuff. So it was beautiful. At the end, there's actually at the end of this, there's like games that are canceled on this, like Bruce Lee Lives, mm-hmm. California Raisins, and some of these have been found, like Raisins have been found, right? Drax Night Out was found. Hammer and Harry, that came out in Europe, but maybe we didn't know that at the time. Right. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of stuff like this that occurred. So that was great, and you pointed out the forums. That was important. Uh, I wrote down a few ideas here that came to mind here as we went for eBay. The, ri- oh. the rise of eBay sure. could be arguably the, the most important thing that ever happened for video game collecting. Um, the legitimizing of eBay, too, was important because eBay was kind of a Wild West for the first few years. It was probably Wild West until like 2002-ish yeah. or so. I remember my friend in high school ordering an ICP mixtape off of eBay and never getting it. 
You know what's funny about that? Huh. I did obviously a lot of buying because I basically eBay got big when I went to college, like like ninety eight ish is when it got big. So I could buy an eBay. I was eighteen. Right. When I went to college. I just turned eighteen. So I did lots of buying and collecting on eBay. It was money orders and checks oh, yeah. for like five, six years before PayPal got integrated when they bought PayPal in the early 2000s. I can't believe um, I bought my import PS2 with a fucking money order and got it. I literally would go to the um, the uh, community, uh, community, what the hell is it called? Annex or whatever. Community, uh, student center. Student center mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm. They had a post office box. That was a legitimate post office. You had your little cubby oh. hole. I would have to literally, literally every fucking weekend, thank God freshman year, it was within walking distance. Literally every week, hey, here's a money order. Great. Take a second, lick the fucking thing, stamp, give it back to the mail out. Every week in college, and then pick up what I got on eBay. I college. That was like the first two or three year, years of college. I did that. And I only never was set. I was only screwed one time in the pre-PayPal, pre-PayPal era. was screwed one time. Pre-PayPal? It was P-P-P-P-P. a Famicom Google 13 game I bought from someone somewhere in Southeast Asia. I never got it. Mm. That was the only time ever. That was a risk when you, you know, like who knows what happens. Mm-hmm. But like, that's it. Everything else I got. Big box gyro that I remember getting, all that stuff. Anyway. So eBay, without eBay, you would not have accessibility to these items Certain parts of the country, some games were never popular. You know, like we talk about TNC, how more popular it was in here. You go to back in Jersey, I, I don't remember any of my friends ever having like an indie car racing game. But I'm sure yeah, the, I always the, feel the like there are, there are, and maybe less so now because the sure. longer the internet's around, the more these things get spaced out. But I do feel like before collecting became a huge thing. Uh, I feel like there were games that were regionally more available than others. Absolutely. They knew knew what they were marketing to. They know, like, you know, you're going to sell, you know, race car games more in Indiana, you know, in Ohio versus like selling them in California. That's just the way it works. Um, So that was a big thing. I I feel like the Wii Virtual Console was obviously big because it exposed people to a lot of these games. They can play them. Yeah, that's true, too. Without emulation. I mean, they're emulators. That's a good one. And we can talk about emulators as well. But I don't know if that directly coincided as much with collecting as this other stuff. But that well, I do think it was I, it was important to collecting. I do think it was important to collecting emulators. Chick- I think it's cool. chicken in the egg thing. That what you know, like what spurred the other one more? Well, I think I think emulating because I'm thinking about emulating. I was playing emulators already my freshman and sophomore year of high school. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think it helped kickstart my collecting. Okay. I think I think that might have been even a little early to say it was by the time Nesticle came out. I mean, I don't know if there was what it was probably a three year. You know, the system had only been gone for three years. Sure. Um, but it got me interested in the games that I never had as a kid, which made me go out and buy them. And that's always what I've said. I, you know, especially back then, emulators were not and like were not perfect. By any means. There were games that just flat out didn't work Mexico on emulators. Mexico was pretty damn good, though, from the start. Oh, it was good from the start, <laughs> yeah, but there yeah. were still problems. Oh, sure. But, you know, you wanted to go get these games and play them on a system. And um, I think it's really, I think emulation, at least for me early on, really helped inform my collecting purchases. Because if it was a game I liked, I would get it sooner than I would a game that I had played on the emulator that I didn't like. You know, I, sure. I, I could I could without buying the it was the first way to truly, truly test out a game before buying it. Because until then, you either rented the Nintendo game or you bought it and took a gamble. Sure. So uh, I think it was important for collecting. A couple more things. Uh, you, the rise of YouTube and videos, AVGN, that was big because sure. people, dis- people discovered things the same way. You said it kind of weird. 
that, that was a thing. Sure. I'd say all sorts of things. The weird. stadium events Yahoo story that happened around 2009. I think it was nine or two. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, so what happened was it was an eBay auction where someone just happened to have stadium events as a lot they found in their closet or whatever. I forget if that was the one in North Carolina. I forget where, where that lot was found. It went for a lot of money. It was like nine, ten thousand dollars or something like that. It was right. Like, and people at the time were like, what the fuck? It was is? about ten thousand. And it went as a story back when people were still using Yahoo, still in the two thousands. It Yahoo ran an article on that. That blew it up. Everywhere you looked on Craigslist for like a year. Yep. You had people saying, wanted, statement. These are people I never heard of game collecting. Wanted stadium events. Oh, it made it made work a living hell. Hey, can you help me find this game I had as a kid or my nephew had this kid? It was disgusting. On the punkoffect.com, that was one of the original articles I wrote. I went off on all the people masquerading as original stadium events holders. Mm-hmm. I compiled them. There was 50 to 100 I found like that day alone across the U.S. So that, I think, for the first time, a lot of people are like, wow, these are worth money. Or they can be worth money to the average person. We knew. I think because even NWCs were going for thousands of dollars, and statement was statements was at that point. But I think the average person had no idea that was that kind of set it off. You said you get you get calls about that at work. Oh yeah, every time one of those articles came out, work became a nightmare because people would be bringing in these boxes, and I mean it's been so long I forgot that that's you know I forgot that that was even an era. But yeah, people would bring their boxes of games in, and they'd think they were all a hundred dollar million dollar games sure. and it's like they're they're not well, well i saw this article yeah well that article is about one specific particular game. game if you have it it's probably not worth anything um so anyway, the same event story was the first one and finally wada games changed game collecting obviously in our opinions not for the, the greater good but you have to say that's the most significant thing that's probably happened in the past five years when it's come to game collecting yeah was that Maybe maybe more than maybe 10 years. Like it's, it's the one thing that really obviously opened up to a whole speculative market. You've had controversies, class action lawsuit that who knows where that's going to go. Carl Jobe's video, our coverage, Seth Abramson's coverage of this uh, over the years. And it's one of those things where if you think in your head, wow, they can make a documentary maybe about this if this thing blows up or whatever, um, that's a that's an important game, important moment in game collecting history, even if we thought it was a bad one. Inflation of prices, even complete in box prices. I think I told you about the, I, I, I the, the complete in box, Mike Tyson's punch outs used to be like $1,000 yeah. for a while. Then they yeah, came yeah. back down the earth. Right, right. Like it was nuts. Contras went up to $1,000 for a little bit even. Complete in box, like nice copies. It was insane for common stuff. So that's, those are our lists there. Uh, We'll see if the we'll see if the best game best games that had unique controls makes it for three fifty, or maybe we just grandfather it in. Yeah, for three fifty. I think we will. Well, this was a very long episode of the podcast. We oh. will be cutting voicemails. Yeah, we ended up. Yeah, we, we were about ten minutes over. Yeah, uh, roughly. But thanks so much, everyone. Thank you. Um, real quick, Jeff, I hope you like this cameo of you and my shirt. <laughs> Get it, motherfucker. I think I'm going to work this into the convention t-shirt rotation. Nice. That'll be a good one. Just for you, buddy. We'll see you in two weeks for the big, the big 350. Bye. Take care.